This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Ten-yard gain, and now Bell off the left side. He turns the corner, 15-10-5, and he's in for the touchdown. Le'Veon Bell just cruised around left end and tiptoed up the sideline for the score from 22 up. And yes, you can now stick a fork in them. They are done. And I see the terrible towel now twirling. We couldn't see it before because of all the orange in the house, but the orange has vacated the premises. Savor that call because you won't be hearing it again, most likely, at least not in Pittsburgh from Pittsburgh announcers. T-minus three hours. No Le'Veon Bell sighting yet. I don't expect one. I don't think the Steelers expect one. And maybe most importantly, I don't think the players expect one either. I think they've moved on. I think they've moved on for the last couple of weeks. When he didn't show up at the bye week, I think that they said, okay, that's that. Now, I know nobody wants to talk about Le'Veon Bell, but look at the bright side. This will likely be the last day we talk about Le'Veon Bell. You know the parameters. He's got to report by 4 o'clock, or he doesn't play for anybody at all this season. Then the drama will be, who does he end up playing for, and would it be a team that the Steelers see more than once a year or once every couple of years? But for right now, it certainly doesn't seem as though he's going to report. He does have until 4 o'clock. I know we've talked about this before. I understand there's a lot of vitriol against Le'Veon Bell as he thumbed his nose, or the perception is he thumbed his nose at the Steelers. But I don't think it's wise to cut off your nose while he's thumbing it to spite your face. I still maintain that the Steelers are better with him than without him. As far as saving money, they've already saved a ton for the salary cap for next year. If he doesn't show up, they get all of it. But $8, $9 million, that can buy you a corner or an inside linebacker or whatever else you might need. If you operate under the premise, as I have all this time, that if Le'Veon Bell were to have reported at this point, maybe if he, maybe if he showed up in October or something, after James Conner had fully established himself, then maybe you'd say, well, eventually he's going to be the starting back. I think a lot of people are doing this, A, because they're angry at Bell and the way he's conducted himself. Understandable. And they also think that it would be a slight to the hometown hero, James Conner. It would not necessarily be the case. And I've always broken it down into the lowest common denominator, which is the Steelers would like to get James Conner a bit of a rest throughout a ball game every now and again. That means that other running backs, maybe they get five, six, seven carries, whatever it is. Would you rather that guy be Le'Veon Bell or would you rather that guy be Jalen Samuels? Nothing against Samuels. He hadn't done anything wrong, and maybe it's premature to suggest that he can't do anything right. What I've seen thus far is a rookie who hasn't impressed. He's not bad. Jury's not in yet on him, 
but I haven't seen the kind of burst you're looking for. And I don't care how much you're angry at Le'Veon Bell or how much you hate him. There's no way that Jalen Samuels is a bigger threat than Le'Veon Bell. Not to mention the multiple ways you can use Le'Veon Bell. So to just dismiss him and say, good, I'm glad he's not showing up. Jim says, come on, baby, no show, no show. At this point, I think he's afraid to show up. Well, that's fine. Sounds good when you say it fast. Maybe it makes you feel better. But as Josh says, only scary thing about no bell means very little depth without Connor. Maybe signing a veteran might be a good idea. Tim responds by saying, does it make sense to bring in C.J. Anderson for insurance if Bell doesn't show? But he's been cut. Maybe he's better than Jalen Samuels or Stephen Ridley. I don't think that you can always adequately prepare for an injury to one of your stars. And we've seen what that looks like, too. When Bell was out and D'Angelo Williams was out, what did you get? Ben Tate? Fitz Toussaint going back to 2011, Ike Redman. Bell's a good insurance policy, an expensive one, but a good insurance policy. There are positives to having him come back. And I do think if there are concerns about whether the locker room would accept him or not, I think they would. Why? Because I honestly believe that there's been a shift in the player's attitude. I've discussed this with you before. When he didn't show up, as he said he would, for the first game against Cleveland, the first week leading up to that game, you heard a lot of players speak out. Why? Because I think they felt betrayed. I think because he told them privately that he'd be there. He did say in public, I'll do the same thing as Agent did. I'll do the same thing as I did last year, which meant, Labor Day, I'm ready for the first game. Well, he showed up for the first game. How ready he was was an issue, again, against Cleveland. But as time wore on and things got straightened out and they embarked on this five-game winning streak and James Conner continued to shock, really, if not shocked, greatly surprised everybody, including the Steelers. I mean, they thought he'd be, you know, good. But I don't think even the Steelers, if they're being dead honest, would have said, yeah, we thought that he'd lead the AFC in rushing and total yardage and have 10 touchdowns and all these kinds of things. No, I don't think you could have anticipated that. No matter what they thought of him after his pit career, this is different. This is not playing Wake Forest. But once the team, and more specifically the players, began to see what Connor was capable of doing, their attitude about Le'Veon Bell shifted. I think initially, they thought they needed Le'Veon Bell to get where they want to go, which, of course, is the Super Bowl. Nobody's kidding anybody. That was the objective for everybody in the Steelers organization, in their locker room, and outside. 
fans and media alike. That Super Bowl or bust, that was it. Nobody's kidding anybody about that. And I think the players believe, why wouldn't you? A major offensive weapon like Bell, and let us you can be mad at him all you want, let's not discount what he's done on the field. Don't let that cloud your judgment. And I think the players felt, with the Super Bowl in mind, with that being their primary objective, they would need Le'Veon Bell to accomplish that. But as time went on, and Connor was performing brilliantly, at least, at the very least, as good as Bell did last year, that need changed from we need him to we can do it without him. We'd still like to have him. But we are no longer in the mode of we need him. We can't do it without Bell. I think that was, frankly, subconsciously the mentality. Why wouldn't they think that way? All around, biggest weapon on your team, all elements of the game considered, the best all-around running back in the NFL, why wouldn't you think that? You would. But as time wore on and they saw what Connor was capable of doing and they're in the midst of a five-game winning streak, I think the attitude of the players changed. We can do this without Le'Veon Bell. We're glad to have him. If he wants to show up, that's great. We want him, but we don't need him. It's like you go shopping for an expensive item. I sure want that, but do I really need it? There's a difference in the perspective. Chris posts on Facebook, I think the injury to Des Bryant has spooked Bell. He's probably worried that if he were to get injured late in the season or in the playoffs, he wouldn't get the big contract next year. Sadly, he's probably right if that's his thinking. I think what changed his thinking is this. I think his thinking changed because he and his agent weren't thinking, and they weren't alone. A lot of people didn't fully understand the rules of the second franchise tag. I don't think that they really understood that he was going to be a free agent. In other words, initially we all thought, me included, I believe what I read, I just didn't read enough. And the wisdom was conventionally that he had to show up and be around for six games or he wouldn't accrue a season service and therefore the franchise tag, this one, would exist again for $14.5 million. Reading further into the fine print, It turns out that he was going to be a free agent anyway. That the Steelers would have the right to franchise him a third time. But it would cost them over $25 million to keep him. And they're not doing that. There's also the transition tag, which would make him a free agent. And he could go shop around. The Steelers would have a right to match and so on and so forth. But I really don't think that Bell and his people understood the full depth of what the franchise tag was all about. I think they thought, well, we got to show up by such and such, or we, you know, we're going to go through this again next year. That's what Tomlin meant when he said, we want volunteers, not hostages. 
meaning that if Bell showed up, it would be only because he had to fulfill that six-game requirement to get rid of the franchise tag and be a free agent. Well, it turns out that's not the case. And so the only thing that Bell is giving up by not showing up today, and I put only, is another $6 million. Now, that's hard for us to fathom, but he's already given up eight, eight plus. And he knows that he's going to get a big deal next year. I think he may be surprised. He may not get what he thinks he's going to get. But he's still only going to be 27 when the season starts next year. I think while it is true that he didn't get any wear and tear this year, I think Mother Nature comes into play. Uh, For all of you 27-year-olds out there, Tom, are you 27? Not yet? 24. Well, here's what's going to happen. Slowly but surely, may not be noticeable, whether you play this year or not, your reflexes change. That's got nothing to do with being a professional athlete. That's just the cruel way that Mother Nature deals. And I'm not saying that Bell doesn't have great football left in him, but even without taking any punishment this year, that's the natural order of things. That quick twitch that he relies on, he'll still have it, but maybe won't be quite as quick. But he'll still be fine. The only reason for Bell to report, now there are two reasons that Bell would report this afternoon to play. One would be $6 million. That's six million good reasons to me. But let's remember he made twelve and a half last year. It's not I mean, you can buy a lot of jet skis with twelve and a half million dollars that he made last year. And if you're looking to tip strippers, he's got more than enough to do that. The only other reason he would bring in is because he misses playing and he wants a Super Bowl. And he knows this team, whatever his role may be, has got a great chance to win it. And frankly, even better if he's around. There's a third element. Again, we've talked about why he might not report, why he's probably not going to. But the reasons to report if he did were because this is his team, at least for now. He's close with a lot of his teammates. And he wants to win a ring. There's one other added element to that. He knows full well that the Steelers are not going to fulfill one of his greatest fears, which was touching the ball 40 times a game. With James Conner here, he knows that's not going to happen. He knows that he will have a reduced role. And, oh, by the way, he makes 855000 a game and maybe only gets 10 touches. I don't know how long he'd be happy with that. These guys are competitors. They're not looking for soft spots to land. But that would fulfill another need for him, and it would allay another fear. So the positives for him in not reporting, I don't get hurt. I'm a free agent anyway. Steelers won't transition him. 
he's on his way. Even if they did transition him, he's still a free agent, just would give the Steelers a right to match. I don't think they would anyway. Rob says, what irritates me the most about Bell is his absolute refusal to man up and just tell the team what was going on. The silent treatment went on, uh, went out in second grade. I agree. I think when Art Rooney said last week on Sirius Satellite Radio they expected Bell to report, then he said, we have no communication. Mike Tomlin in his press conference today said, no, I haven't had any communication with him whatsoever. I think he did owe him that. I think he said, look, I'm not going to be there. Instead of having, you know, not that they stood, stayed up at night, keeping a vigil. But I agree with Rob. He owed him that. Doug says, I think the Steelers are the big winner in the Nobel Prize. <laughs> I like it. Nobel, two different words. Way to go, Doug. The team is rallied around Connor, and the old line will open holes for anyone to run through, even Stan. They'd have to be pretty big holes for me to get through. But I was a lineman, so... I wouldn't be running the ball anyway. Matthew says Bell's agent has really hurt his client with really bad advice. Compound that with Bell's arrogant attitude as if he's above the rest of the team. Well, his teammates played a big part in getting him to the level he reached in his career. He shouldn't let the door hit him in the rear end on the way out the door either. But the players also understand this is business. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. And by the rules of the CBA, I've told you this many times before, Bell has done what he's done within the parameter of the rule. The Steelers are doing what they can do under the parameters of the rule. Problem is, both parties may not have understood fully what this is all about. Jim Wexel of Steel City Insider and 247 Sports wrote a great article online at his site today. Want to talk to him about that, about the Steelers in general. Also, still to come, a lot of people blame the Steelers' defense for the two losses to Jacksonville. Rightly so, but don't forget that the offense played a big part in that, too. That's all to come. Broadcasting live from the Steelers' facility on the south side, it's Saverin on Sports on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. We're joined now by Jim Wexel. Jim, of course, covers the Steelers for Steel City Insider and 247 Sports. Jim, thanks for joining us. Uh, I really enjoyed your your piece today, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but it said, um, "Who's to blame? Uh, what's responsible for the Steelers' uh, success, winning streak? Blame Mike Tomlin." Uh, <laughs> Um, and I, that's very clever, but if you will, please tell people what you wrote, and I want them to go and read them for themselves. Okay. Well, I, I pretty much wrote. Let me let me think now. You know, I, I went back last year. There was a Thursday game at the same time, and by the way, Le'Veon Bell had 12 carries in that game. The plan on three days rest was the same this year for Connor, 13 mm-hmm. carries. But um, uh, you know, uh, how 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 Enthused was I. I look back in my old notes columns. They were eight and two. They blew out the Titans on a Thursday night. Very similar kind of uh, situation as this year. And I wasn't very enthused. You know, I wrote, well, they, they, this 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 offense has been stagnant, and they got a little bloated win here. Uh, I, and I wasn't that impressed. I'm not as impressed as I am this year. 
And I, I, I went, you know, of course, Tama took so much heat early in the year, as he always does. And, uh, you know, the, the, they lost the locker room, of course. You know, Le'Veon Bell's holding out. Antonio Brown's doing crazy stuff. And the whole locker room's in upheaval. And the guys who are people who are in a locker room are, are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so it's the same thing every year. So I, I wrote a column about, uh, really, all, all the good things Mike Tomlin has done since I thought his boneheaded play, as Ryan Switzer called his kickoff coverage a couple of weeks ago, uh, his boneheaded play last year was talking about the Patriots in the middle of the season, which I thought gave license to the entire team. It was poor messaging. I'm a big believer in top-down messaging. It was poor messaging. And you, you could see Tomlin's messaging today, very strict, very focused on one at a time, every question that was brought up uh, per- pertaining to Le'Veon in particular. But I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about how we can beat this team. That was missing last year, and that was my criticism. But everybody else had, you know, everything was Tomlin's fault. Everything's always Tomlin's fault. And uh, I, I basically went through all of the things that uh, I, Tomlin has done well off the field. Uh, you know, every, he didn't fire his defensive coordinator. He fired his offensive coordinator, and everybody ripped him for that, considering the score of the Jacksonville playoff game. And look look at that offense this year. Look how much – it's just so much more buttoned down, to use a term that Tomlin gets ripped for for not being. Uh, the, the red zone percentage is number one in the NFL. I just really enjoy Randy, Randy Feekner's play calling. And I went into how Randy is um, – I, I kind of uh, compared him to the guy in the – Russell Crowe in The Beautiful Mind – Randy doesn't care. He doesn't care about getting a head coaching job. He's just he's just that that wizard with the X's and O's, and uh, that's all he cares about. And he's an easy guy to get along with. But I mean, it doesn't mean he's some kind of simpleton. He he's just he's just lost in his X's and O's, and it's working. All this stuff is working, and and that's one move Tomlin made. Uh, he fired the offensive coordinator, and look look at the defense is coming around now. It was it was the players, not. Not the uh, not the coordinator so much, and and those kind of moves off the field moves and then his on the field moves. I mean, I I could have listed twenty of the just the, the basic on the, like using Matt Filer as the right tackle instead of Chuk Sakorafor, or who's the other backup tackle? Big uh, Banner, Banner, Zach Banner. Zach those Banner. are those are the two guys that have been practicing a tackle all through camp and all through the early part of the season, but he used Matt Filer, and this is a guy I thought was a natural tackle while they've been using him at guard the last two years. So I mean, whether that's Mike Munchak's idea or not, Tomlin has final say, but all these little things, L.J. Fort, the way he's using Morgan Burnett, the way he's easing Ryan Switzer into that crafty third-down uh, slot guy, uh, just little things, and, and they're all adding up, and I, I really – I, I am excited about this team, except the only concern is backup running back. Yeah. The way the way Tomlin runs the wheels off these guys. There's a whole history of of Mike Tomlin running the wheels off all these guys. Well, I'll get to the bell momentarily. I wanted to add something. Um, I, I talked about on my show Monday and also uh, on, on, on actually Friday. Because uh, the Thursday game, and then Monday, and the show I do with DVE on Monday mornings, uh, and that is the one thing about Tomlin, uh, and people are loath to give him credit. 
Um, that's just the way it is. He's wildly unpopular. When I talk to uh, other journalists um, uh, doing shows you know, across the country, they are astounded to learn how unpopular Mike Tomlin is uh, in Pittsburgh. And they go, what? What are you talking about? I said, believe me. Um, and I understand people you know, may think he's arrogant and that sort of thing. And when a coach makes a 1,000 decisions a game, there are going to be some you don't like, like a baseball manager. I'm not going to like every move he makes, but he can still be a good manager. The one thing that I, I identified, Jim, uh, and I, I, you're getting to this, um, and that is he never loses his team. There was a lot of turmoil going on, one, two, uh, one uh, uh, what were they, one, two, and one, whatever they yep. were after four games. You know, a terrible start given the anticipation and the expectation for what this team was expected to do, but he doesn't panic. Uh, I've read a couple of players' comments that he never freaks out. Um, he stay, He doesn't lose his team. And I think in addition to the X's and O's moves, the personnel moves that he made in the offseason and – Throughout this season, he kept the players focused. And for all those who said that the locker room is fractured, I would have to say I'm in agreement with you. I think that this locker room as a group is more together than maybe at any point in the last three years. You could be right about that. And a lot of that might have to do with James Conner. But, you know, even, even while that was all going on and, and the national media was calling it team turmoil – no, we were there, and it it, it's, it was so far from even happening. I, I really think it's an indestructible locker room. A lot of it, you know, and that was another point, where when someone screwed up with Bill Cower, he'd get a spittle bath, and you knew who screwed up. And Tomlin was ta- uh, Cower was taking care of this. And we've got a disciplinarian running this show, and it's not going to happen again. Well, Tomlin doesn't do that. You don't even have, you don't have an indication. And I think people think that he's just stupid, standing there in ignorance, that he doesn't really know what's going on around him because he's not looking for someone to blame or to chew out or to, to mock or to let everybody know in some way, this is not my fault. This is this guy's fault. This is that guy. This is this coach's fault. Uh, and, and that's part of the reason why this locker room is indestructible, I think. And we saw... We saw some of that manifest itself on the field when Pouncey and DeCastro went after Eric Reed. I sent a message to everybody, I think, on future schedules even. He'll mess with this quarterback. And you also saw Pouncey. Connor would go down, and Connor looked a little sluggish the last game. And three days rest, I understand totally. Pouncey's pulling him right up, right up off the ground, uh, patting him on the butt. You know, Pouncey was just alive with energy and and it's it's on the defensive line you have the same kind of guy in cam hayward and you know vince williams and john bostic is inside linebackers it's just full of good character and and energy bringers and uh this team is i think you're right this might be the most put together team that i've seen in a long time now the Le'Veon bell saga <laughs> it, it, it... It's been a saga. It will cease to end uh, being a saga in two and a half hours, one way or the other. I want your take on it, Jim. My my take is that you're always better with a guy like that. Uh, uh, I know there's some concerns. Uh, he's not going to displace James Conner. He's not going to replace James Conner. Um, I think from the player's acceptance standpoint, I think at the start of the season, and I mentioned this in the last segment, I think that the players thought 
hey, we want to win a Super Bowl. We think we can win a Super Bowl. We think, however, we need Le'Veon Bell to do that. I think that's why some of them were so angry when he didn't show, because they thought they couldn't do it. But as time went on, even after the tumultuous first month, now they're in a five-game winning streak, so they're winning. And James Conner has proven now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is capable of continued greatness and that they can win a Super Bowl with James Conner and with or without Le'Veon Bell. And I think because of that, if Bell does show up in the next two and a half hours, I think they accept him because now it's not a matter of, well, we need Le'Veon Bell. Now it's, well, we want Le'Veon Bell, but we don't need Le'Veon Bell. I agree a thousand percent with all of that. And uh, the team will accept him. I, I did read one journalist said he's talked to some players off the record who don't want him to show up. And the only guy that I could think of that might not want to, whose behavior all along would lead me to believe that maybe he wouldn't want Levy on there because of what's happening now, is Ben. And, you know, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally speaking for him. Uh, with no authorization, and I've never uh, heard him say anything negative about Le'Veon. But he's always been the first to say James Conner should stay as the starting back, even uh, you know a month ago. And you know maybe he knows something about big games that we don't about Le'Veon. I- I've always assumed and felt that he's fit right in and was one of the guys and is accepted by all. And I do believe the offensive line would totally accept him especially when everybody knows he would be the backup. And we would all assume Le'Veon knows coming. He would be the backup. And, you know, maybe some kind of rotation can be forged later once Le'Veon proves himself. But I, I, I just wonder if there are any, as this journalist wrote, I forget who, who wrote it. It, 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 it took me uh, – I, 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 I respected what was written. I respected the byline at the time, but I can't remember who it is. And so I just wonder – you know, if Ben's not comfortable, and this is the most comfortable I've ever seen Ben. I think he really loves the coordinator and and the, and the play calling and the way everything's unfolding around him. And so maybe then I would hesitate if if Ben had a problem with him. Then I would then I would agree. But otherwise, I think everybody would have would accept him totally. Lastly, um, as you look at this team in this game against Jacksonville, um, this is one of those. You know, this is one of those things where they go on the road. And Jacksonville's not the team that they were. Uh, sometimes they have a problem with this. Do you feel that there's a new maturity with this team um, to avoid those kind of pratfalls that they've had in the past, especially when they go on the road against a team, in their case, with a 3-6 and six record? <laughs> well, a lot of that has had to do with coming after Baltimore games. and things. Yeah? Yeah. And, yes, uh, Mike Mitchell is not going to go down to the other locker room and scream at the door. And Le'Veon's not going to be late for a walkthrough. Uh, so in that way, there is a, a maturity. But also, I, I think what overrides that is the revenge factor. And just, I mean, when you get, I'm going to go look this up, uh, t- how do teams do the next year against the team that eliminated them? Because that eliminating team is the team you think about. And we, we've, we've, we've rewatched the tape so many times, that offensive line of Jacksonville. I know Fournette's tough. And somebody was trying to get to, uh, Tomlin to talk about that offensive line. 
that offensive line brutalized. I, I remember Cam Hayward. It wasn't just L.T. Walton. It wasn't just Javon, uh, an injured Javon Hargrave, uh, a one-armed Stephon it. Cam was getting blown off the ball by their left guard. And the Jacksonville people were saying, that left guard stinks. I, I don't know what got into him. And that left guard, he got a big package free agency deal in the offseason, went to the Giants, and got cut. I mean, yeah. they were right. That guy was nobody. But that game, he was somebody. And Cam Robinson, the left tackle, who's out for the year. You know, they had Eric Flowers playing left tackle last game, and he left with an injury. And let, Eric Flowers was cut by the Giants. Uh, you know, that, that left side of that offensive line and the center's out, too, it's nothing. And that, that third corner, if you remember Aaron Colville, he shut down a lot of stuff. That third corner got a big contract deal with somebody else, too, and he's gone. That's hurt that defense. And you know who else is missing that was very good? Paul Puzlesny. Yeah. You know, we all want to dismiss him to a degree. He's getting old, and he, how fast is he? And Tomlin once called him as dull as a bowl of grits on draft day. But, man, he was a tough run tackler. And uh, they're missing some key guys. Yeah, they lost uh, their they lost their starting center. He got hurt last week. Yeah, the whole uh, side of the line that dominated last year is gone. And uh, Fournette, you know, he he was formidable. And I don't know why Blake Bortles picks his two biggest games of the year to play against the Steelers, but uh, but the revenge factor and some maturity, absolutely. Uh, I I would assume this is a Steeler. uh, This is Steelers are favored, and they should be. All right, Wex, thank you, as always, for the time. Enjoyed talking with you. Check out Jim at Steel City Insider and 247 Sports. Thank you, Wex. Appreciate it. Thank you, Stan. All right, take care. Jim Wexel, uh, our guest. You know, we talked about those games against Jacksonville last year, and as I've said many times before, that playoff game loss, uh, to me, was the worst home playoff loss uh, in my 40-plus years here. Uh, and we point to the defense, 45 points. We point to the regular season game, losing 30-9 to at home. And we look at the defense, justifiably. But let's not forget the offense's role in that. We'll talk about that next. We'll have this date in sports history and birthdays. That's all ahead. Saverin on Sports, ESPN Pittsburgh. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Shotgun snap, pump, steps up in the pocket. Pocket collapses, the ball comes out, and Jacksonville picks it up on a dead run. Running with the football is Talvin Smith. 20, 15, 10, and that apparently is a touchdown. And now we got a marker thrown, but they do signal touchdown. Yeah, that was not just one pick six. There were two pick sixes for Jacksonville. That's the regular season game. And Ben Roethlisberger was picked off five times. That was the most by a Steelers quarterback since Mark Malone threw five against Cleveland of all teams. Actually, Cleveland was good there in 1987. The point is this. We look at the Steelers' defense, and we, last year now, we look at Jacksonville running up 30 points, then 45 in the playoff game, and that's not to excuse that. But two of the touchdowns in the regular season loss were pick sixes. Not to mention throwing a total of five interceptions, which does what? Shortens the field for an offense that is very, very limited. 
let's go to the playoff game. Jacksonville comes right out and reminded me of what Carolina did Thursday night. First drive of the game, boom, boom, boom. But then what happens? Roethlisberger throws an interception. Then there's a strip sack and a fumble return, 8,000 yards for a touchdown. So the defense of Jacksonville was responsible, or should I say from this perspective, the offense of the Steelers was directly responsible for seven and indirectly responsible for 17. And the Steelers ended up losing the game by three. Now, that's a little misleading, too, because you'll remember that the Steelers scored a touchdown very late in the playoff game, and it was over by then. And the defense was bad. They could not stop the run. No question about that. And in the first regular season game, that was with Ryan Shazier and Leonard Fournette. Still had a huge game. 181 yards, although 90 came on one play. And so you can't excuse that. But when we talk about the Steeler defense versus Jacksonville in those two games and the defensive deficiencies, which there were, let's not discount the free points that the Steelers' offense gave them. You can point to almost any game in the NFL, and 95% of the time, the team that turns the ball over most will lose. And aside from that, when you're behind as much as they were in those two games, it changes the way you want to play offense. Maybe it shouldn't. I mean, the Steelers actually held a lead in that regular season game, three to nothing. Whoopee. Maybe it shouldn't change the way that you play offense. Keep doing what you're doing. Go with what's best for you, that sort of thing. But teams have a tendency not to do that. I mean, we saw Carolina do that. They, actually, they, they were running fairly well with Christian McCaffrey, right, early on. Then they got behind, and then maybe they feel like you have no choice. And let's face it, the Steelers score two touchdowns in 14 seconds. That clearly makes a difference in what you do. But it's not only the amount of points that you're behind. It's that it generally forces teams to change what they do best. In the Steelers' case, as good as their pass offense is, they are better, most teams are, but them especially, a lot of their pass game is predicated off the run game. Balance is the key. The Baltimore game two games ago, I think, was the exception. They threw the ball 47 times in that game. That's more than you'd like. Maybe they thought that the Ravens were Vulnerable to that, but they had some decent balance there. Generally, when you pass 47 times, it's because you have to, and generally it's at the expense of your running game. That shouldn't 
be the case necessarily, but it has been. And it's a cliche to say, well, if you just don't turn the ball over, you can win. That, that, that is a given. But a team like Jacksonville, you can't give many freebies. I mean, first of all, their defense is not nearly as productive as it has been. Number two, they are a minus 11 in turnovers this year. It's one of the reasons that they're three and six. Don't help them out. Don't help them out. Tomorrow on the show, Josh Yoey will be talking Penguins hockey. Jerry Dulac talking Steelers football. Time now for this date in sports history. And on this date in 1979. Willie Stargell on this date was named the co-MVP of the National League with Keith Hernandez of the Cardinals. Co-MVPs, that hadn't happened. It happened on this day in 1979. On this date in 1982, Ray Boom Boom Mancini boxed a guy, a Korean boxing, Duck Koo Kim, and he pounded him into a coma, and he would die four days later. Boom Boom was never the same after that as a fighter. Happened on this date in 1982, and on this date in 1999. Well, we all said bye-bye-bye to Pitt Stadium. Pitt played its last game at the venerable old facility on this date in 1999 and beat Notre Dame 37-27 before, while Heinz Field was still being built. How about some birthdays for you today? Myron used to sing, I got a crush on Stush. Stan Terlecki of the old Pittsburgh Spirit is 63 today. Mel Stottlemyre, outstanding pitcher and pitching coach with the Yankees, is 77 today. Happy birthday goes to one of the great offensive stars in the NHL, the 70s, Gilbert Perrault of the Buffalo Sabres, part of the French Connection line, is 68 today. Happy birthday goes to shortstop, second baseman. I wouldn't mind seeing him here in the Pirate uniform as Drupal Cabrera is 33 today. And a happy birthday goes to... Is it possible... The two youths. To what? Uh, What was that word? Uh, What word? To what? What? Did you say youths? Yeah, two (laughs) youths. What is a youth? Joe Pesci from My Cousin Vinny. Happy birthday goes to Vinny Testaverde, the venerable quarterback, number of teams, Miami of Florida, of course, a lot of teams in the NFL. Vinny Testaverde is 55 today. Again, Josh Joey talking hockey, Jerry Dulac on football. Tomorrow, I will see you on the Penguins pregame show on TV tonight beginning at 6.30, and you can hear the game right here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Thanks for joining me today on Saverin on Sports, ESPN Pittsburgh. Tunchin Wolfer talking Steelers. It's in the locker room weekday mornings from 10 to noon on ESPN Pittsburgh. 970 AM, 104.7 HD2, the iHeartRadio app, and now on the new and improved signal in Allegheny County, 106.3 FM. ESPN Pittsburgh traffic. Two crashes with big delays, one in Bridgeville, Washington Pike, Pinewood Drive, the other in McKeesport, Walnut Street at Fifth Avenue, and Evans, total traffic. Yes, buying jewelry can be scary. 
Yes, you might not know exactly what to get, and yes, you could play it safe, but real devotion means being a bit more daring. That's why Jared's Dare to Give Big semi-annual event is the perfect time to take the leap. Get the best prices of the season from November 14th to the 18th on an amazing collection of jewelry and exclusive pieces you won't find anywhere else. This holiday, dare to be devoted, because yes, she's going to love it. Some exclusions apply. Visit Jared.com for details. Indeed knows it's hard to find qualified candidates when you're hiring. It's like finding a unicorn. But when you post your job on Indeed, it's easy to find people with the skills you need. Nurse practitioner, four plus years experience, acute care certification. Indeed has a huge pool of amazing candidates and screener tools that help you find your most qualified applicants. Whoa, an entire short list of unicorns. See why more than 3 million companies worldwide use Indeed to hire. Post your job at Indeed.com slash hire. Indeed, the world's number one job site. Source.com score visits. From weather to traffic and everything in between, you have enough things to worry about every day. Insurance shouldn't be one of them. You can leave worry behind when Liberty stands with you. Liberty stands with you. Liberty Mutual Insurance. It's time for some straight talk. This holiday season, give yourself the gift you really want, more data. Just switch to Straight Talk Wireless and we'll give you 50% more high-speed data on our $35 and $45 unlimited plans when you buy a smartphone, all without a contract. Plus, you'll get America's largest and most dependable 4G LTE network. So switch today and say happy holidays to yourself with 50% more high-speed data. Straight Talk Wireless, everything for less, only at Walmart. See terms at straighttalk.com. Robert Morris University football host Wagner in the final game of their season this Saturday afternoon. Catch the Colonials pregame show with Chris Shovlin at 11.30 and kickoff at noon here on Pittsburgh's ESPN and on the iHeartRadio app. Keyword RMU. Presented by UPMC Sports Medicine. The Housing Authority of the City of Pittsburgh has provided safe, quality, affordable housing to Pittsburgh families, senior citizens, and persons with disabilities for more than eight decades. Today, HACP proudly provides housing and supportive services to help improve the lives of our 20,000 Pittsburgh residents. To find out more about the Housing Authority of the City of Pittsburgh, visit us online at www.hacp.org or follow on Twitter and Facebook. Hamilton was adopted from a rescue in 2008. He really likes to be around. 